You know, we can strive and we can push and we can sweat. But unless all that's directed by the Holy Spirit, it's just flailing in the wind. We know this is God's church. I've told you before, I love this church. But the reason I love this church is because I came to love the Lord. That had to come first. And I know, we know we're all different. God deals with each of us as individuals. And he deals with us differently. In my case, the Lord used about a five-pound sledgehammer right in the middle of my forehead to wake me up. Why did he have to do that? Well, there's a line in this song that says, what, break me? Melt me? Why does he have to do that? Why does he have to break us and melt us? The answer is so he can mold us, as the song says. <clears throat> we tend to think about God in heaven. We lose track of the fact that he's right here. All of him is right here. When the Holy Spirit came, he brought everything there is that we need. I'm going to read a scripture. I read this yesterday morning. Ron, you'll have to listen to it twice. I'm sorry. Second Peter. Oops, I went too far. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. In his divine power he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we've been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. What did that say? We may be partakers of the divine nature. What's the divine nature? That's God's nature. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he actually allows us, empowers us to understand God's nature. We can't understand all of God. He's too big for that. Our brains can't handle that. But we can understand his nature. What, would, what do we know God's nature is? 
Well, as John wrote, simply stated, God is love. That's where love comes from. That's where peace comes from. You know, we can, we can get involved in politics, but my experience so far in life, in my 86 years, is politics gets a little more broken all the time. Why is it broken? Well, it relies on people acting in the good of the whole rather than the good of themselves. And that's not natural. That's not what happens. There are some, I don't mean it's all that way, but the majority come out of their offices a lot richer than they went in. And there's only one reason for that. The truth is, God already knows all that. There isn't anything we can tell him that he doesn't know. But that sense that said, fall on me, in truth, in truth, he is already all here. And he's here in the hearts of believers. Last week, Todd, Todd, Todd Sermon on the, the description of the unity of the church in Christ. That last phrase, in Christ, is pretty important. We could agree on a lot of things, but if they don't agree with him, they're not going to work. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says, With all holiness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with each other in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And in this case, Spirit is capitalized. That's the Holy Spirit. In Exodus, God gave Moses the plan for the tent that he was supposed to build. And its purpose was for a place for God to come meet him, a place for God to be when he came to earth. And then later on in Second Chronicles, God chose the temple as a place for him to live on this earth, a place when he was here, he would be in that temple, in the Holy of Holies, where nobody else could go except the priest for once a year. That was his domain. And then when in in John 16 when Jesus left was ready to leave he said to his disciples 
that it was better for them if he left. Because when he did, God would send the Holy Spirit to take up residence. God's dwelling place on this earth now is where? In your hearts. And collectively, I'll read that from Paul. Don't you realize, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Collectively, we are the temple of God. How often do you have that thought? Literally, how often do you have that thought? It has to fight its way through a lot of other stuff, right? Why is that other stuff so important? Because it's right here. But God's right here. And collectively, we are the temple. That's what Scripture says. That's what God intended. God has, through the years, God has demonstrated his sovereign power in a lot of ways. We know about a lot of them from what we read in the Bible. And it's progressed from a tent that he would periodically visit and only Moses could go to to this body of believers where everybody has access. Over the years, that's how much God has changed. Why has he changed? Well, we already know the answer to that. The Old Testament taught us what God wanted, but unfortunately, we weren't able to do that. So the New Testament covers us. That's all pretty simple. Last time I was up here, I mentioned Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to deal with that today, but I want to start with chapter 12 first. In chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 9 and through about 21. After I find it. The marks of a Christian's are outlined. Verse 9 says, Genuine love, not hypocrisy. We know that. It says, To cling to good and hate evil. We know that's what we're supposed to do. You know, I've learned through the years that it's a whole lot easier to see evil in other people 
than it is in yourself. Why is that? Well, because we've lived in this world for however many years, and that's where we learn to get along, and that's where we learn to make decisions, and that's where we learn to fight for our right and whatever else. So we have two natures. We have this nature that we've developed, in my case, for 86 years. And we have this other case where God is trying to develop a new nature in us. And they're at war. We already know that. That's not news. One of the things that I, I noticed immediately when the Lord saved me was my want-tos changed a lot. What I wanted to do before he came and what I wanted to do after he came were much different. That didn't mean I didn't do some of the other things. Don't misunderstand me. But my want-to was to do what Scripture said I should do. In that sense, we're not much different than the Israelites were because that's what they fought with all the time. But we do have a very, very big difference. God's continuous presence right here. And that's why this says the marks of a Christian, the ones who are being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Graceful and loving to brethren. We do that pretty good. Wanting and being enthusiastic to serve. That one's a little harder. Enduring difficulty and trials. We're learning to do that as we go. It's not fun. Generous in responding to need. And this church has always been generous. Gracious and loving toward persecutors. Mm. 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 Empathetic to others, that is, feeling their pain, wanting to help. Impartial or unbiased humility. There's an old song that says, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. That's the fight we have. And then overcoming evil with peace, goodness, and love. You know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. When I grew up, somebody hit me in the nose. The response was supposed to be, hit him a little harder and he hit you. Makes sense, right? Well, it makes common sense, but it doesn't make scriptural sense. And that's 
you know, what, unless the Holy Spirit's controlling us, that's the fight we have to have. Now, let's think about what we sang a little bit ago when we sang Fall on Us. That's our desire, right? That would be the best we can do. <clears throat> Let me ask another question, and I really want you to think with this one. When have you been the closest to God in your life? Usually, it's when you need Him the most. Whatever's going on, the more we need Him, the more we'll feel His presence. Well, what's the motive behind that? Why does it happen that we need God mostly when, when we're going to feel His presence mostly when we really need Him? Because He has our priority at that point in time. He is really important when we really need Him. But most of the time we can bop along and do things like we always did them and be okay. But we won't be close to Him because we're doing it ourselves. There is Romans chapter 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's so long you'd go to sleep and I don't want that to happen. The summary says what the Holy Spirit does is continues Jesus' work in life. Jesus left, the Holy Spirit took it over to bring truth and conviction to our hearts to teach the Father's Word, to bear spiritual fruit. You know, I learned a long time ago to say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But that doesn't mean I'm doing those things. I know what they are. But I don't get accused of any of those a lot. Why is that? Because Larry's still in there. Larry still wants to prevail. I've, I've said a couple times, I wish God would just do a prefrontal lobotomy and take that out of there. But I don't know if I really wish that or not. The Holy Spirit encourages believers, but there's an important thing, and I want to stress this one. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit will always, always lift up Jesus and he will never take any glory for himself. The Holy Spirit, his, his total role in life is to lift up the Lord. We know about the triune God. We know about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But we don't really understand who they are or how that works. But one thing we do know, whatever they do, 
They're one. Whatever they do, they act in total concert. They never oppose each other. They always support each other. And I, I presume, just because of my nature, that there's a hierarchy of some kind, but I don't know what it is. <clears throat> I'm going to read the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. After I find it. Can't be that hard. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me summarize that for a second. It starts out by saying, for those who believe, there is no, none, not any whit of condemnation in us. And God looks it up, I'm convinced, when God looks at me, he really sees Jesus. Because if he really saw me, it just might not be true. It says the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit is salvation in Christ. And that's who he lifts up. We're free from the law of sin and death. Let's expand that a little bit. What does it mean? What does it mean to be free from the law of sin and death? Well, what was the law of sin and death? Let's start there. In the Old Testament, the law said what? If you do everything God said, you won't be guilty of sin and therefore you won't be subject to death. But if you don't do everything God said, if you break one part of the law, what happens? Death penalty. No wonder God had to change the conditions. You know, if you just look at history and the way people react, the Bible basically tells us it's got 6,000 years of history in it. I don't know what that really means, but for the record, it means a long time. And that history says, from the earliest people we read about to us, we really haven't changed very much. We were really the same people that they were. So we're free from that law of sin and death because we are, it says we are in compliance with God's law. Which law is that? Jesus is Savior. 
The law couldn't save, but that sacrifice did. Christ paid the debt. We know that. That's, you know, that's the first thing you learn. What does it mean? It means that no matter what the Old Testament said, it doesn't apply to us. Why do, why do we come to church on Sunday instead of Saturday? Because Jesus rose on Sunday, and the Old Testament law doesn't apply. So the Saturday Sabbath, Jesus said, was made for us. And yet we still carry that little kernel back here that says, is that really right? Yeah, it really is right. I'm going to read one more stanza. I'm not going to read this whole chapter because you'd go to sleep for sure. This is 9 through 12, or no, 5 through 8, I'm sorry. For those who live according to the flesh, hmm, those who live according to the flesh have their minds of things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. What we think about is going to determine how close we really are to God because the closer we can come to His thought process, the less we're going to be involved with whatever goes on down here. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace and life. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When Larry's doing what Larry wants to do, where is he? In the flesh. And when I'm in the flesh, I'm not in a position to please God. Who controls that? Me. And the Holy Spirit. One of the things that always sticks in my head is Jesus' statement about the Holy Spirit. When he told the disciples he was going to leave, the Holy Spirit was going to come, and then he said, when he comes, he will convict the world, that's everybody, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He is the reason our morals start to fit what Scripture says. Because he's telling us what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. Maybe subconscious, we may not realize it even. But that's what he's up to. Because that's the way he teaches us through life. that our role 
You know, we're here at a time when self-righteousness and self-fulfillment and self-pleasure are rampant. And what we see every day, what we read in the newspaper, if we read a newspaper, I don't watch, what we see on TV, wherever it is, the world is going in the wrong direction. If you, do, if you plot it by what God says we're supposed to be. So the environment around us is <clears throat> getting worse. Well, we can, we can understand that. We can see it, right? What's our role in this? Well, at the same time God freed us from the law of death, he empowered us with the law of Christ. We know that. And when he empowered us with the law of Christ, what did he say we were supposed to do? What does the Great Commission say? Go ye therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Because the world is dying. They need the message. We are the messengers. Because he is in here. We know that. The question is, how do we do that? How do we present how do we present Christ to a world that's not interested? Well, scripture's pretty plain. That old expression that says our actions speak a lot louder than our words. That's what they see. What they see is what we do. So as we go through life, even though we may not realize it, the world is watching us to see if we're really going to be like we say we are. And what is it that gives us the power so that the answer to that question is yes? God's Holy Spirit. And the more we rely on that, not only will we do a better job, but God has another way of rewarding us. I've told this to the men's breakfast uh, probably a hundred times. When we were going to the mission every month, doing the service, Scott would play music, I don't remember ever, ever wanting to go to the mission the first Friday of every month. <clears throat> when it was coming up, I started to dread it. But on the way home, I don't ever remember not being glad I went. God rewards us in his own way. He rewards us as no one else can. And that's an encouragement for us to be more like that all the time. We need to overcome it almost a, a lack of momentum to get out of the chair and moving into some kind of activity. And it's even harder if that activity has to do 
with God's work. Satan makes sure we don't like that. We do have an enemy. He's alive and well. He thinks he's winning. He knows how to tempt us. He can't make us do anything, but he knows how to tempt us. <clears throat> that Holy Spirit is in there to, to show us what's happening. That Holy Spirit is in there that empowers us to overcome it. 1 John 5, 5 says, who is, he, who is he that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is much more difficult when you're walking around in your body to say, I know God has me covered. I understand that... <clears throat> He's in charge. I understand that he loves me and I'm going to heaven and I'm going to get my reward. But the walk isn't always very pleasant. But after the walk, whatever it is you, you don't, not want to do, but God said to do it, after that comes that reward when you're really glad you did. We're not in control of that. The Holy Spirit is. But he has, God has his own way of motivating us. He has his own way of rewarding us. And for the most part, we won't understand it. We just know it happened. You know, there's, there's an expression that I used to use with the kids at Juvie, but I'm going to use it here. You believe in God, so did Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't have the New Testament, but we do. That wasn't good enough. He had to be born of the Spirit. You know, Scripture says that Jesus was born of the Spirit. We are... If we really wanted to be the happiest we can be, we would spend our life in the Lord's service, doing His will. Salvation is a change of nature. So we have these two natures that are fighting each other. One stronger than the other, and he's going to win. But in my case, lawyer's still in there and he's still fighting. Why? Because he wants control. And the Holy Spirit wants control. He's going to win. The fruit of the Spirit is always the same. We know what they are. But we're all different and God deals with each of us in a different way. But he is God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He chartered and equipped his church to do a specific job. Spread the gospel. 
we are supposed to meet, leave everybody we meet closer to the Lord than they were before we met them. That should be our goal. And the best way to do that is to practice the fruit of the Spirit. Practice prayer. We can't really invoke the Holy Spirit's will in our life if we don't pray for that. We have to submit. Duke Ellingson used what he called the S word, surrender. He didn't like the word, so it's the S word. But basically it means submitting our will to his. And we have to do that consciously. We can't just assume that it's going to happen. So there's a struggle going on You know, the only way we can do all this stuff is if we're really a believer. And if we're really doing what God says a believer is supposed to do. Because that's when the Holy Spirit is really going to work. Let's pray. Lord, Father God, Lord, you know every heart here. You know each one. You know each of us. You know our hearts. You know our life. You know what we need. We know everything, Lord. We know you love us. We know you want us to succeed. And we know you sent your spirit to live in our hearts. Lord, we just ask that you make that apparent to us. Help each of us understand what that means. Lord, I'd ask you to bless this people today. Bring them a good day. It's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.